Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, everyone. Today we are joined by Roseanne St. Aubin, who is filling in for Terry while she furthers her mental health training to become a peer advocate. That's fantastic. Thanks, Bridget. I'm glad to be here. I listen to the podcast all the time, so I've been a listener as well. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for filling in. I had a great chance to interview Dr. Stephen C. Hayes for this segment. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Nevada and the writer of the book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. That's quite a title, right? (laughs) Dr. Hayes is a scientist, one of the most quoted psychologists out there, and yet when he got on the stage for a TED Talk, he opened up about his own panic attacks. I thought that was fascinating. And Bridget, he has some tricks that are things I've never heard of before, such as he has named his brain. Can you believe it? He calls it George. That makes sense because it allows, it allows for a little uh, separation between who we identify as and that ranting, often mean bully that we call our, our self-talk. <laughs> That's exactly it. He calls his brain George. And he has practical tips for calming George down and for diffusing those negative thoughts, as you explained, and putting the brakes on a racing mind. Dr. Stephen C. Hayes is celebrated for his work on acceptance and commitment therapy. It's known as ACT, which he recommends pronouncing as the word ACT. ACT is a method of psychological intervention. Like yoga or meditation or mindfulness, it is used to help us create change. Well, what ACT is is... collection of acceptance and mindfulness processes, commitment and behavior change processes that are designed to produce what we call psychological flexibility, which is the smallest set of processes of change, things you can do that move the trajectory of your life from a negative to a positive direction. And how do we learn to be psychologically flexible One way is to learn from a person in your life who is constant. A mentor or friend who accepts you is fully there with you and respects your values. You picked somebody who empowered you because they modeled psychological flexibility in their relationship with you. Hmm. And if we can learn from that and internalize it and not do it to ourselves, if you could be that person with yourself who lifted you up. And I bet you when you, sometimes when you're at your worst, you might even think of what would that person do? What would they say? Yes. It's a very wise question because we have guides, spiritual leaders, uh, coaches, parents, and people who lift us up. But sometimes we have a hard time really distilling down the lessons and science can be helpful with that. So that's what psychological flexibility is. It's kind of the lessons that life teaches you anyway. 
Life can teach us lessons, except when we have an internal voice that dominates us. That's what happens when your brain is a dictator. And it turns out many of us have a little Benito Mussolini up there barking orders. You know, when you we all have those voices in, in our head and, and a single voice commonly, in the, you know, the sort of advisor. And we want that voice for certain things, you know, watch out, uh, you know, no, that's not the way to do your taxes. Uh, if you don't do this, your car will break down. But that same voice will turn on you and turn your life from a process to be lived to a problem to be solved. And, and once you are more like a math problem than a sunset, you're in trouble because you're always going to find long lists of cons with whatever pros you put up there. And you get into this little mental war that, even four and five-year-olds understand if they look at the cartoon with Goofy on one shoulder with a halo and Goofy on the other shoulder with horns, where we're trying to you know, live inside the cacophony of argument and self-criticism, self-blame, shame, etc. So I think you know that you're being wrapped around the axle of that process when you get into a situation that requires... Uh, new things and you find yourself unable to move forward and you find yourself circling around the same bush of self-criticism, blame, guilt, shame. And that's almost always pushed forward by a voice, by by a decision, by a thought process that becomes too dominant. And frankly, the problem-solving mind doesn't know everything. There's things you know that you don't even know verbally that are intuitive or things that are felt senses. And if you don't open up to that, then you're kind of flying blind. You're trying to sort of almost live your life as a computer program instead of a whole person. Becoming a whole person, says Dr. Hayes, can happen when we decide to be of service. When we rise out from our familiar circle of self-doubt and do good for others, being of service adds a positive dimension. If you just look at the impact of compassion and contribution on depression, when when people are actively focused on compassion towards others and actually contributions to their well-being, it's like an antidepressant behaviorally to do that. But it's not about subtracting anything. You're not trying to eliminate anything. You're trying to show up to your capacity to be of service, to be of use, to live a whole values-based life. And that puts a different cast on your life. You know, your eyes are on the horizon, not on the, uh, you know, on the difficulties that uh, are behind you. And so, yeah, I think... um, there's a, a lot. It, it is a positive message, but not in an eliminative way, in, in a one step at a time, live a life that's worth living way. Now, Dr. Hayes loves a good car analogy. Envision your brain, he says, like a fast race car between our ears. If we don't learn to put on the mental brakes, we could suffer mental brakes quite a play on words, but it can be scary when that fast car gets its engine revving. I think if you give that engine the task of, I'll be able to live a whole life when you get rid of this, well, you know, when I only feel good, not feeling, instead of feeling good, I only feel good, feel things I evaluate as good, et cetera. When you do that, the problem is you have both an avoidance purpose 
and uh, an engine of growth being put to it. And that's kind of like, you know, jamming on the accelerator and the brakes at the same time. If we're going to stay with a car metaphor, it just is not where you want to put life energy because you're never going to be able to delete your memories. You're never going to be able to remove things that have happened that are sad or difficult. They'll go to your grave with you because the nervous system doesn't have a delete button. When the problem-solving mind uses an intellectual engine to head in a wrong direction, we need to apply the brakes. Shift that gear power and energy toward things that are more positive. But how do we get our racing mind's attention? Dr. Hayes says try giving it a name. After all, it's always talking to us. But when our own mind starts talking to us, we sometimes even miss that we're being talked to. Never mind pausing for a moment and considering, is this really helpful or not? And if it's not helpful, letting go. If you simply give it a name. So I, mine is George. I don't know why. So what, when George talks to me, I, I, I thank George for the contribution. And, um, uh, you know, thank you very much, George. Have you got anything else to say? And just that little, that little gap is a gap in which humanity can squeak through and you're not just on automatic pilot doing whatever shows up in your head that's programmed. So if you're used to your mind pulling you in directions that if you look in the long run, dig you into a hole instead of help you out or put you round and round on a circle that doesn't move you towards where you want to go, just pick a name, any name. You can say Mr. and Ms. Mind or Mr. Mind if you if you like. And uh, have a little conversation with your mind. So what do you have to say about it, George? And whatever George has to say, well, you know, basically you're on level. Well, okay, you got any other input, George? Uh, You're never going to succeed. Okay, thank you. We can actually be playful with a negative thought as a way to diffuse it. What about singing your pain? But yeah, you could sing out your negative thoughts. I... Uh, ask people to say the thoughts in the voices of cartoon characters or to um, perhaps pick your least favorite politician and have that person uh, be the one to deliver the usual mental parcels that show up in between your ears and see if it doesn't give you a little bit of a space to make some choices about whether or not you want to be uh, dictated to or uh, in the world of actual behavior, emotion, following it out. Um, so we yeah, are changing the voice, do it, saying these things very slowly. Like if you have a thought like I'm unlovable or life's unlivable, say that over a period of 30 seconds. I'm on and it just lands differently. So instead of fighting with your mind, you just kind of play around with it a little bit. One that is the oldest method of the ones we teach, it's 100 years old, it was developed by a Titchener, the father of American psychology. And we were the first to use it clinically, is to distill a thought down to a single word and then say that thought out loud fast, at least once per second. We've actually done the research to know how fast you have to go and how long you have to go, at least once per second for 30 seconds. Hmm. So unlovable, 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 to stay with the one that I just raised. 
After 30 seconds, the distress produced it has gone down substantially, 60% or so. The believability of it, the truth value of it, the automatic yes, that's so of it has gone down even more. And if you can pop the illusion of language in 30 seconds, you know, yes, meditation, all the things nowadays that people are being taught are helpful, but you can do things that in 30 seconds will help you wake up, open your eyes, be able to take a breath and have a little choice point in there. You're not eliminating the thought. You can still even do what it says, but let's you decide that, not just uh, your automatic programming. Slow down, be gentle with your emotions, humanize your response. Try the verbal equivalent of taking deep breaths. The example would be, Take these self-critical things you say to yourself. Think of how young were you when you first said self-critical things to yourself. There was anything like that. And very often you're talking elementary school. And picture yourself at that age. And now take this thought that's bothering you now and have it come out of the voice of that younger version of you in the actual child's voice. So if you have been dumped by your boyfriend and you're thinking, you know, I'll never be loved, take yourself down to that first place. You're probably six, seven, eight years old, and you're wondering whether or not you actually are good enough and whether or not people want to be with you. Have that six, seven, eight-year-old say, I'll never be loved. And, you know, what would you do if that actually happened? If you actually could meet yourself, you're not going to say, snap out of it. What's the matter, you big baby? Mm. You're probably going to hug the kid, number one. You're going to listen, number two. My guess is you're not going to judge. But if you get in front of the person in the mirror, brushing your teeth in the morning, you will easily do all those things to yourself and treat yourself with real cruelty instead of kindness. So diffusion, these methods are not just about kind of um, putting on the brakes in the sense of undermining the meaning of the word, what you're trying to do is bring the whole of you in there so that you have room for self-kindness, compassion, values, attention. For You can humanize the fact that, yeah, we live with a, a symbolic, judgmental mind, but there's more to us. There's our hearts. There's our values. There's our love and caring. And so bring that to yourself. A next step may be a challenge for some of us, but Dr. Hayes says there could be a time for each of us to expose our depression, make it a secret no longer. In essence, wear your label. You know, what if we're all walking around with these deep, dark secrets, which we are, of things that we're ashamed of or we blame ourselves about, you know, the things we could ourselves about. And what if... The big joke was is that we're all walking around with the same secrets. So when we compare our insides to other people's outsides, it's like looking at an Instagram photos or something and say, man, they have such a cool life. Look at mine. No. When you go inside, you go through the superficial and through those pictures and the insides of the human beings you're looking at, and is there anybody that you know really, really well who isn't carrying around dark secrets inside them. And so uh, what if we could create a culture that was more open, 
that was kinder, that was more um, linked to what's really important, that was more honest and sharing. Not that you'd want to do that with everybody. You wouldn't want to walk into the your work probably with a sign on you saying, deep down there's something wrong with me. But if you have a thought like that, what if right next to you is a person who has a similar thought? There may be times when you build a relationship, when it's trusting, where you can actually put some of those things into the outside world. And what happens when you do, when people actually put some of their insecurities, their worries in a responsible way, not in a kind of brain dump, here's a mess, you take care of it, but more like, these are the things that are going on with me that I'm stepping up to right, right now that I'm working on. Turns out that empowers other people to share with you and, and, to, and to come to you. And I've found this over and over when, when, when I'm more honest with the people around me about what's inside me, they're more honest with me about what's inside them. And it increases connection, not disconnection. If you do it responsibly, if you're not just dumping your problems onto someone else and asking them to solve it. So I, I think we could humanize the world by using our out loud voices about our inside problems. You know, you probably heard the statistics that one out of five persons has a mental illness. Yeah, but five out of five people are struggling with the processes that produce psychological health or lack of health. What if we could create a cultural thing where it's okay to be human, where we have pain and we learn to carry it? That's our journey, says Dr. Hayes. That's our hero's journey as well. Life is asking us to open up to the puzzle, not to find a way out, but to find a way in. Opening up to the sadness or the anger or the abuse history or whatever it is that's life asking us to open, to open up to, you are better able to appreciate what it's like to be human, to connect with others, to care about others, because you've been... Uh, given the kind of a situation in which uh, you don't have the easy alternative of just pretending and ignoring and failing to deal with the whole of the human condition. You're in the middle of it. That's an opportunity. And so I would just say to folks, not as a way to ameliorate your depression, but as a way to, to lift up your life and to have you contribute to the well-being of others, I would say... Take advantage of this difficult opportunity that you have. And right here inside this podcast, my sense, you go online, you look, you're going to find a community of folks who are finding ways to turn those lemons into lemonade, that there's things inside depression that really can teach you things that will be useful to yourself, your children, to those you love. Oh, Roseanne, what a life skill to be able to gently, calmly, kindly redirect and refocus our mind as it wanders to all the crazy places that it goes. And, you know, what a gift to give ourselves. You know, Bridget, I took this all to heart. You can do things in 30 seconds that will help you wake up, he says, open your eyes and be able to take a breath. How important is that? 
wildly important. I know so often we think that, you know, to pivot or, or you know, what's the word we're going to use? Refocus, redirect is something that's in the future. You know, if at all possible, it's in the future. And there's lots of things that we can do that have kind of instant results. They're not necessarily permanent results. I think it's a repivot, a repivot, a repivot. I think that's that's the that's what mindfulness is in my mind, at least. It's that acknowledging and accepting what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what your body sensations are. I mean, it's a big ask, but it's also a moment-to-moment doable thing. Absolutely. And Bridget, I'm very eager to find out the name you choose for your brain. Ah, I'll have to give that some thought. <laughs> my favorite quote about mindfulness is from the author James Baraz, and he says that mindfulness is being aware of what's happening right now without wishing that it were different. Enjoying the pleasant without holding on when it changes, which it will, and being with the unpleasant without fearing it will always be this way, which it won't. Whoa. Isn't that yummy? Thank you for sharing that. So thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Roseanne, for reminding us to give ourselves the gift of being present. And Terry will be back with us next week. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.